we're going. I think we're going. Screw it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Metal Hammer Podcast, episodes 135. Would you believe it? Uh, don't forget that the latest issue of Metal Hammer is still out right now. Go pick that up immediately. We've also got some brand new Corey Taylor bundles that we have just dropped. Corey is on the cover of the main issue as well, of course. But we have an exclusive uh, cover with our new Corey Taylor bundles we've just dropped. Those bundles also come with a very cool Corey art print, specially commissioned and designed by esteemed artist Adam Forster. And Adam is actually signed and um, numbered all those art prints as well. So exclusive Corey Taylor bundle uh, with its own cover. Art print, you won't get it anywhere else. Only 250 copies worldwide. Go to tinyurl.com slash Corey bundle to pick up yours right now. Uh, and as I said, the regular edition of Metal Hammer with Mr. Taylor on the cover is out in all UK stores right now. My name is Mel, by the way. I did that in a slightly different order than normal. I don't know why, but it's fine. We're going with it. I am joined today by Metal Hammer Deputy Editor Eleanor Goodman. How are you doing, El? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm all right, thanks. I'm all right. What was so- that cup? Sorry to derail you. That's all right. I've got my Glastonbury cup, uh, oh. pint glass, which says, I love my reusable cup. And I really do. So good to know. There you go. Um, I'm also joined by Mr. Stephen Hill. How you doing, Steve? Not great, mate. Bad. What's wrong? Well, yeah, we're about to talk about why, but my shoulder's fucked as well. So no, I'm sorry your shoulder's bring everything down. I love your reusable cup as well, but I wish I just had a bit more joy than just the cup sort of yeah. sort of this week. Fair, fair. We have, of course, had some big, big uh, and very sad breaking news that uh, broke last night, which we'll get to in just a minute. Um, I know that uh, we got obviously got Corey on the front cover of the current issue of Metal Hammer. And you said uh, before we started recording, you saw a little bit of his live stream. It looked I saw like one video from it on YouTube. It looked pretty high end stuff, just like a long music video, was it? Yeah, it was like um, it was definitely exceptionally high quality stream that somebody only somebody of his caliber can do they must have put an awful lot behind that i think the ticket price was maybe sort of twice as much as other streams as well because usually the streams are sort of around 10 pounds slash 10 dollars to 15 pounds slash 10 dollars and this was kind of 20 quid slash 20 dollars i'm not very good at conversions as you can tell but yeah it was at the forum in los angeles which is a very legendary venue and it was super super shiny and slick like all the band were kind of across this like vast, like it was just vast area and everybody was just, you know, playing all the songs from his new record, super, super shiny rock songs. And obviously he's on the cover and we talked in the, in the cover feature about how he's really into doing the solo stuff and CMFT and it just seems to be where his head's at. And, it, you know, they had Pyro, they had the massive CMFT letters. Like you said, it looked like a music video, really, just like one massive long music video. They played for about an hour and a half, maybe slightly more. And they threw in some Stone Sour stuff as well, like uh, Bother. Um, and they did like two encores. And, yeah, it was, um, it was a good Friday night. It was just a very kind of... It's exactly what you'd expect. Super, super slick, super shiny, super polished, rock and roll, Corey Taylor having a good time. Um, again, really sort of setting another standard for live streams, I think. Oh, sorry, my mic was off. What an idiot. Awesome, awesome stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, very, very cool. Um, these live streams are still kind of a very, very big event, aren't they, really? It feels like an important part of the calendar for everybody. I oh, actually... Yeah, they- 
Sorry, just talking over you. Just remember, they had the cherry bombs on at the end as well. Obviously, um, his wife's squad. So that was very much like the CMFT video as well. Lads, all the lads coming in. Um, yeah, that's cool. I watched uh, I watched a bit of the Euroblast uh, stream as well. They did Euroblast Festival Homecoming on a Saturday night. Um, and uh, I didn't get to see many of the kind of, um, you know, major names that were playing. Like, I mean, Ginger, Carbomb. Uh, Ghost Iris or some of the kind of headline bands that were playing, but um, I kind of clocked in and out of it a few times, and it was really cool. They had the organisers kind of sat in a um, almost like a, a more tidy but Wayne's World esque studio setup, where they're all kind of sprawled across sofas, and they were all talking about what goes into making the festival every year, um, and then they were kind of playing a variety of sets that bands have recorded, especially from kind of home studios and around their houses and via Skype and all sorts of different stuff. Um, so it was really good fun. Uh, Euroblast, of course, one of Europe's like major, major kind of tech metal-based festivals. Um, so it's quite interesting to get an insight into that and uh, and just see what that was all about. Um, yeah, the streaming revolution goes on and on. Um, Steve mentioned he's feeling down at the start of the podcast, and I can very much understand why, because uh, as I said earlier, we had some devastating news breaking late last night that Eddie Van Halen is dead at uh, the age of 65 um, after a, uh, a battle with cancer. Uh, the news was confirmed in a statement from his son Wolfgang. Uh, the full statement read, I can't believe I'm having to write this, but my father, Edward Van Halen, has lost his long and arduous battle with cancer this morning. He was the best father I could ever ask for. Every moment I've shared with him on and off stage was a gift. My heart is broken and I don't think I'll ever fully recover from this loss. Um, just, I mean, an unmeasurable loss to the rock scene. Steve, we were kind of chatting about it this morning. I mean, Hendrix aside, maybe, and even then it's pretty close, the most important and influential hard rock guitarist of all time? Uh, yeah. Just straight yes. No doubt about it at all in my mind. I think you've got Hendrix is on an exceptional... I, I, Hendrix is, for my money, the, the greatest guitarist ever, um, I would say. I think he totally revolutionized the electric guitar in a way that no one else has or will ever be able to ever again. And when you look beyond that, um, I think someone like Tony Iommi deserves like a hell of a lot of credit. I think, you know, you, you look at Tom, I think Tom Morello is incredibly underrated as a guitarist and, and what, and, and the way that he approaches the guitar as well. But I don't think you can really look past Eddie Van Halen as the only other person other than Hendrix to have totally revolutionised the way that people look at playing the the guitar. Mm. I mean, I'm not saying people may be able to correct me to say that he wasn't the person who invented the hammer on. Like I, I can't with you know, total confidence say that he was the very, very first person to do that kind of hammering technique. But whether he was or whether he wasn't, he was certainly one of the first and he certainly perfected it. And it's certain that, you know, and, pop and, and popularized it. And popularized know. it. And whether you are listening to, you know, Zach Wilde or Joe Duplantier at the start of Ouroboros by Gajira, th that's that's Eddie Van Halen. And the the the, the stretch of influence from, you know, 
Radiance Machine to Extreme Metal to, you know, the very obvious influence he had on the entirety of that Sunset Strip hard rock, you know, glam metal thing in the 80s, which become became massive. I mean, obviously that would be, you know, the first place that you would start in terms of what he kind of influenced. And, you know, I, I don't like that music at all. I've got not, you know, there are very, very few of those bands from that Sunset Strip 80s glam metal era that I have any respect for at all. But I love Van Halen. I fucking love Van Halen. And I, I, I'll never forget, the, like my mate's dad played, played like a tape of Van Halen once when my mate was learning guitar and he was like saying, you know, like, oh, the best guitarists around now were, I'm bringing up like Morello, I'm bringing up, you know, various people in grunge, you know, Kim Thal from, or Jerry Cantrell. And my mate's dad was like, you need to listen to this guy. And he put a tape on, you know, I remember being in a car and listening to Van Halen for the first time when I was about 14. And I just could not believe what I was hearing. Even, you know, that would have been the first album and, you know, 15 more than 15 years after that record came out, it still sounded like it had been beamed down from another universe. Unbelievable. And just stops you dead in your tracks, that guitar. I mean, there's loads of great stuff about the harmonies in Van Halen and David Lee Roth's, you know, um, <laughs> high camp style and, you know, his his vocals and stuff that, are, that make Van Halen great. But ultimately comfortably easily the best thing about van halen is is eddie van halen yeah he's no out about it nah and the uh and, you know, talk about that kind of just like a true guitar prodigy to to, to to kind of still to this day people still kind of imitate what he was doing um but can't get near it i mean literally last night rob Blin from machine head posted a video of him trying to nail eruption and he was just like I've got to be honest, it's not perfect. It's, it's never going to be perfect. And that song's been around for like 40, yeah, nearly over 40 years now. And people still haven't been able to kind of capture that same, uh, that same thing that he was able to do. Like any guitarist you have ever listened to that consider themselves a shredder on any level owes themselves to Eddie Van Halen. It doesn't matter how heavy they are or, or what kind of music they play precisely. Like, Every guitarist you like owes something to Eddie Van Halen, basically, if you're listening to this podcast. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, an, an unbelievable loss. Uh, and, uh, you know, at a fairly young age as well, 65 just doesn't quite feel it to me. Um, so we're going to have a lot more on that uh, coming up on the, on the Mount Hammer website. We're going to uh, look at all the many, many, many tributes being paid to him um, around the rock and metal world. Uh, and we'll have plenty more of that Um in the magazine as well in uh, in future issues uh, we've got an issue out uh, next week uh, which obviously went to print a while back so we won't have anything on on eddie's passing in that but in the in the ne- issue out in november i'm sure we'll have something up in there to to carry on can i also say as well is that the 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 really really shitty thing about it as well is the fact that it's been so long since they'd come to the uk and i think that you know there was chat about for years and years and years and years about them headlining download. And I was always like, Oh, you know, I'd love to see it. And then it got to the point where it was sort of obvious that that wasn't going to happen. And that, you know, the, the last album and then getting back together with David Lee Roth was, you know, 
the, the the kind of fractious relationship that those guys had together meant that it was kind of unlikely that we we're going to see that. But I think what it's meant is that over the last sort of 20 years, people in this country, in the UK particularly, I think we've sort of forgotten or taken for granted about how influential and how important and how groundbreaking Van Halen were. And if this does anything, if there's any there's not any positive to take from it. But if there is any kind of crumb of positivity to take from it, it might be the fact that people start thinking about Eddie Van Halen and talking about Van Halen as, you know, when you when you think of, you know, bands like Motley Crue and Def Leppard, who basically owe their entire career to Van Halen, are stadium arena-sized bands. Uh, I don't really know how big Van Halen were over here in the last few years. And, you know, that is a... Is a shame, I think. So hopefully that is rectified ASAP. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Actually, it's, it's been 25 years since Van Halen have come to the the UK, and I'm not sure if that would have been in the David Lee Roth run or the Hagar. Sam Hagar. That probably would have the mid 90s would have still been Hagar, wouldn't it? Yeah, they actually um, a friend of mine saw them supporting Bon Jovi in the mid 90s, and I think that was the last time they came over. And I think it was the last tour they did with Sammy Hagar, I believe. Yeah, so I mean, you know, the kind of original lineup hasn't been here for even longer. And um, but yeah, no, I agree with you, and that is a really interesting point because I do remember, you know, we're probably talking the better the better end of ten years ago now when people were kind of saying, "When are we going to get Van Halen at Download? When's Van Halen going to be that Sunday night classic rock headliner?" And I think me and you might have even talked about this not that long ago. Like mm -hmm. it did feel like that moment had passed where there was a real want for it there to the extent where. You know, I agree. I'm not convinced that Van Halen are thought of in the same way in the UK as Def Leppard are, as Guns N' Roses are. You know, they just... Something about whether it's just the fact that they haven't been here so long has definitely, I think, maybe seen their stock dip a little. But um, I agree, and that's a really good point. Hopefully this will get more people talking about Van Halen. You know, you always see people kind of flock into their music when an artist has passed. It's unfortunate that it often takes people that to, to check them out. But if it means more people start to listen to Van Halen and really appreciate the way in which their music has influenced just about everything that's come since, mm -hmm. um, then yeah, I agree. That's a really, that's a really uh, positive, um, but kind of unwanted silver lining. Um, but as I said, we will do more on uh, the legacy of Van Halen uh, as the weeks go on. So stay tuned to melthammer.com and uh, look out for some stuff in future issues for more on that. Um, in much more positive news, the new ACDC track, I think last week we were we were kind of theorising and speculating about ACDC and then about 10 minutes after we went off air, Steve went, oh, they've released the song. I <laughs> know <laughs> oh, oh, they confirmed the album, wasn't it? Yeah, like, the, photo, the photo got leaked. Well, not leaked, but like put up. Yeah, so it's, it's all out there. Uh, the ACDC album is officially coming. It's called Power Up. It's being released November 13th, so only just over a month away. Um, with the album's first single, Shot in the Dark, is out right now. And the album, as rumoured, will feature uh, Brian Johnson, Cliff Williams and drummer Phil Rudds all returning to the fold. Um, I had listened to Shot in the Dark. It is classic ACDC and that is fine with me. What did you guys think of this track? Exactly that. Exactly what you'd expect as soon as you hit play. It's like, well, that's ACDC. But it made me feel happy. Yeah, I like it, man. I mean... I don't know why I was a bit like, oh, with a bit of trepidation as I went into it because I thought they sounded a bit, 
Well, the thing is, the singles on, on Black Ice are actually really good. So I don't know why I was like, oh, they've got yeah. releasing good singles over the last sort of, well, what we're talking now, probably like 30 years, I suppose. And the album's being like, not, not like consistently great all the way through. But there's just something about the kind of the, uh, Jonathan summed it up really brilliantly a couple of weeks ago um, about the sort of the rhythmic pull of ACDC, which is just, so perfectly done and they've still got that going on it's wicked yeah it's just it's everything you could pretty much want and yeah it's an interesting point about um about the albums i mean i've got a a special affinity for black ice but i think that's probably because it was the first acdc album that they released since i'd got into acdc you know what i mean because before that stiff upper lip was in 2000 i was listening to fucking spine shank then i didn't care about acdc but like uh you know, eight years later, I kind of got into their music and appreciated it. And like, there are some massive tracks on that album. Rock and Roll Train is huge. Yeah. Big Jack, big. War Machine's really good. Um, you know, I've got to admit, I didn't actually listen to Rock or Bust as much. I wasn't as blown away with the single. Yeah, so Rock or Bust, I meant was the last one, not Black. Yeah, Black Ice is, is actually very good, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rock or Bust is, uh, feels like maybe it's not quite up there. But yeah, as you say, they've always got a habit of smashing out a good single and... Um, I just really can't think of many bands that I could do with just shining some pure, unadulterated joy into everyone's lives right now as ACDC. So really, really excited about that album coming. Um, if you haven't heard it yet, go listen to it and let us know what you think over on the Metal Hammer Facebook readers group. Um, on a totally different bent, uh, Arctangent is looking very, very good indeed. Uh, more festivals getting confirmed and lineups getting filled out for 2020. Very exciting stuff. Opeth have been announced as joining Cult of Luna and Eamon Ra as headliners for this year, next year's, I should say, Octangent Festival. It takes place from August 19th to 21st. Big old lineup, full of great bands, uh, the likes of Oathbreaker, Rado Tomasi, Tesseract, Alcest, Leprous, Ohm, Svalbard, billions more. Um, head over to melthammer.com for more info on that. Stephen, you've been to Octangent. You've been to Octangent now? I was meant to go to Octangent and then I had an ear infection. So I couldn't go, which is shit. But I really, really want to go to this Arctangent. It literally just looks like an A-list of brilliance. It just looks like so good. Yeah, it's wicked. Um, Aim and Ra are not headlining, by the way. They're not one are of they them. not? There's still another headliner to be announced. Um, so, yeah, so it's Opeth and um, Luna, which is pretty amazing. And like Ishan's in there as well. I don't think you mentioned... I mean, I'm trying to think off the top of my head at all the other people that are playing. But, I mean... It's wicked. It's basically pretty similar to the um, the lineup they put together for this year, which was pretty amazing. Bit gutted that Swans aren't there. Swans are going to be doing it this year. Like, obviously, nobody's fault that that's happened. Obviously, Swans just aren't playing next year. But yeah, the, the lineup in general is fucking fantastic, and it's a really good festival. I mean, it's so far out in the middle of nowhere. I have been a couple of times, and I the problem is is I don't like camping. So I always get a hotel, which is usually a bazillion miles away from where the thing is. So it's always been a fucking pain in the ass to get there and back and stuff. But like for an actual festival, it's it's really small. It's really friendly. Um, the people who go to it just love that shit. And it, it nails its lineup for the type of clientele it gets mm. as well as probably any festival on the planet, I think. 
I should say in Arctangent's defense, you don't necessarily have to bring a tent in camp. They have luxury TPs and stuff like that too. So you don't have to do camping in a tent if you don't want to. I hate camping too, Steve. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, even that, even the t- even the teepee is just. I need it. I want running water and a cooked breakfast. <laughs> well, so so do I. So do I. At my old age, but you know, some people are happier with less creature comforts than we are. Other accommodations are available. <laughs> I just um, want to go. It looks great. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it does look really great. And, you know, as with all independent festivals, huge shout out to the team there for putting together what looks like a great lineup in an absolute clusterfuck of a situation for everybody. Really exciting stuff. Um, yeah, and there are so many more great bands playing that we haven't even mentioned. So you can head over to melhammer.com or, of course, the uh, Arctangent website to see all of that. Uh, right, album of the week time. And it's an interesting one. Now, am I right in thinking that this album has technically actually been released now because some knobhead somewhere leaked yeah. it mm. yeah okay. yeah that's happened three weeks early greg well, did well, a statement online condemning the person who did it and they just put it on Bandcamp so people can listen to it if it's out anyway and obviously you can go order it from there as well in a oh. physical form what did, he, what did he call the guy and a knobhead or a knob a, dip, a dipshit was it shit that's right yeah was it a dipshit i feel like it was a dipshit yeah. I don't think you would have called him a knob cheese. That's a bit of a British um, <laughs> terminology. <laughs> I think I've made it across the Atlantic, the terminology knob cheese. You just knob cheese. <laughs> that is disgusting. I just realised what you said. That yeah, no, yeah, it's not very nice. But this guy is a knob cheese. He's leaked it. What an idiot. I, yeah. don't, I mean, I'm t- oh, assuming they did it on purpose. If they didn't do it on purpose, then that's a very unfortunate thing. But for the record... If you're if you're in any position where you're lucky enough to gain access to music early and you leak an artist's music in advance, you're an absolute clown. Like, just absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, so we thought we we thought we'd uh, do this. Uh, if you haven't worked it out, by the way, we're talking about the debut solo album from Greg Pitiato uh, of Dillinger Escape Plan fame, of course. Um, it was leaked uh, a few days ago, and so he's kind of like put it out there early. So we're gonna do it today because why the hell not? Um, now Greg's been on a very interesting uh, journey in many ways because obviously Dillinger Escape Plan wrapped things up uh, a couple of years back with the Dissociation Tour um, since then he did uh, another Black Queen album um, I can't remember if the first Black Queen came, album came out before or after Dillinger but it was certainly um, oh. before or after the Dillinger breakup was it okay well, uh, so we, we, he kind of had done his kind of like interesting 80s thing with the Black Queen so we kind of had a good idea of some of the stuff Greg really likes to sink his teeth into when he's not in Dillinger world. Um, and there's a little bit of that here, but there's a lot more besides on this album, isn't there? Yeah. Loads. I think he said that it's been a very complex process for him. And he's spoken about how leaving Dillinger or the breakup of Dillinger was something that had to happen. And then they had to drag its corpse around the world for two years and keep touring it. And so he was quite, um, involved, like, the, you know, he struggled with mental health issues kind of around that time. And then going into the Black Queen, I think he's spoken about kind of how that was a completely different approach and he kind of wanted to take that approach and prove that he could do something different and just have a complete change of scene. And this record kind of brings everything together and is in a much better place, as you'll read in Metal Hammer, is in a much better place kind of in himself, in his mind, in his body, and artistically. He's now 
kind of managed to synthesize all these elements of things that he likes and bring them together in his first solo album. Yeah, um, I I love this record. If we're just going to get straight into it, I think it's amazing. I, I anytime I'm surprised by somebody in like metal or rock music um that feels immediately even if it's not <laughs> that good i feel like that's a bit of a victory because i do feel like you know the walls of um have closed in on heavy music to a point where sometimes i feel like metal can be kind of predictable a little bit you know i mean i think we're in a pretty good spot at the moment it's been a really really good year and i've been feeling a lot of time you know I, i've been play, pressing play on a lot of records and going oh shit i didn't really see that coming and that's felt really nice because sort of the few years before i've not had that as much um but this is like i mean i love the idea that someone is just doing an album because they wanted to play all of the music that they really, really like and that they've got a really eclectic sense of different types of music that they love. And that's kind of what this record is. Oh, I, I see. It's all right. It's all right when Greg Pusciato does it. When Corey Taylor does it, it's a... Uh, oh, this is the point, isn't it? Like, Corey Taylor didn't do that. Corey Taylor has... Uh, this is the perfect accompaniment to the Corey Taylor album in terms of a, in terms of a seesaw. Do you know what I mean? Oh. The yin yang of of those two records this is perfect because what corey taylor did essentially is just shit out some really obvious radio friendly bullshit album that him and his mates could have a laugh at while they're playing together whereas what greg did is it feels like he is thought about really really thought very very deeply about all the different types of music that he likes and that I don't think this is an album that is done. Like the Corey Taylor album is done for a laugh. Oh, me and my mates want to do it. It's a bit of fun. I don't feel like this album is a bit of fun. I feel like this album is, is a genuine statement of, look, this is the human being that I am. And I'm a very complex and varied, led human being, like most people are. I think it, this album says a lot about Greg Pichato. And I think probably the Corey Taylor album says quite a lot about Corey Taylor. And if that's true, I know who I want to spend my time hanging out with more. I actually wasn't surprised by this record at all, which doesn't, I don't mean that in a negative sense. I mean, knowing what I know about Greg and the stuff that he's in, been involved with, when I heard this, I was like, yeah, of course it sounds like Greg. It literally just sounds like what he likes and the inside of his brain. And that he's just kind of indulging everything he loves. And He's a person who expresses himself authentically. You know, he did in Dillinger and in The Black Queen. Again, that was something that he wanted to do and went and did it authentically. And this feels like he's brought his authentic self and put it all onto a record and just done exactly what he wants to do. And so it didn't really surprise me in terms of the way it sounds and the way it is. It's kind of what I'd expect. But I don't mean to say that I was disappointed with it because I wasn't at all because it's got some amazing stuff on it. I think I'm still trying to hold all the bits in my head at once because there are so many different styles and different tactics, but I like everything on it because it does feel authentic and it does feel like whether he's like screaming insanely or whether it's kind of like 80s dream pop or whether it's industrial or whatever it is, it's, it all sounds like Greg. That's why it's good. Yeah, I think when I say it's sort of surprising, I mean, I'm not surprised that he obviously listens to the types of music that he listens to. And I think, it, you know, it, 
from listening to the Black Queen or Dillinger or reading interviews with them stuff or seeing the bands that Dillinger took out and tour or whatever, you can tell that he's into lots of different types of music. I think the surprise comes in how well he nails all of those styles and how the fact that he does them back to back with really sort of scant regard for any sort of genre um sort of rules or, or tropes at all like he will just chuck in it'll be an acoustic kind of folk song followed by an electro pop song followed by a grindcore song and although i you know i know uh, i'm pretty sure that he likes all that stuff i think it's how those three things fit together so seamlessly and how this actually feels like a coherent album i think is the really really impressive thing about it I think that's because you can tell it's all him and you can tell yeah. it's all from him and his voice is obviously really recognisable and his voice and the way he approaches things kind of brings it all together. Yeah, I agree. Sorry, Merlin, I thought you were going to say something. You go, mate. Yeah, me no. too. <laughs> no, I keep muting myself so there's definitely, no, there's definitely no interference from me and then I forget what I'm saying. Um, is there is there anything in here that stands out as a particular highlight to either of you two guys in terms of like being so far away from anything he's done before? Because as we said, we know what Dillinger sounds like. We know what the Black Queen sounds like. We know that he's into a ton of other stuff as well. But the ways in which he manifests that, um, you know, could have come to very mixed results. Um, yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's a few things. I think the fact that the album starts with Heaven of Stone, which is, you know, literally just an acoustic song. You know, I mean, I, I reviewed this for the mag and I referenced Jeff Buckley um, for that particular song, which although he's done balladic things before and he's done slower stuff before, I've never thought of Greg as, you know, going that far down the road to be, you know, like a kind of um, an Elliot Smith or a, a, a Jeff Buckley or, a, you know, an Iron and Wine or something like that. But that's there right at the very very start of the album and i think it makes you go oh okay that's this is not going to be the thing that you expected and like i say then he follows it up with a really heavy one and then this kind of shoegazy dream poppy 80s synth thing it's um yeah that's cool i really like that song l you got any favorite favorites Oh, obvious one is Deep Set, just because it kind of sounds like Dillinger. It sounds a bit like Milk Wizard or something. But I also really like Fireflies. It's like a little bit industrial and a little bit synthy. And his lyrics are really cool on that. Just really, like, nice and poetic. Um, yeah, there's, there's just lots of, apart from songs, though, there's just a lot of little bits in it. Like, Do You Need to Remind Me has got, like, a really creepy feedback intro. And then just, like, massive screams. It's like within a song it can turn as well so i like i said i'm still trying to sort of hold all the bits together in my brain um mm. and i think as i listen to it more they're going to sort of coalesce into something that yeah. helps me kind of put it all together but it's, I, it's really interesting yeah i i really love there's a one two on it of through the walls and a pair of questions which through the walls is like a kind of like ambient talk talk pop song and then it's followed up with this really super synthy almost depeche mode-esque sort of like goth 80s goth pop banger and that's a single isn't it pair of questions or the yeah. one of the singles yeah and it, it's fucking brilliant it's like it's so great i mean i'm 
I know I'm not alone in this podcast as someone who absolutely loves Depeche Mode. Um, if you can do a good impression of Depeche Mode, chances are I'm going to love you forever. And that's one of the best Depeche Mode-esque moments from someone that I've heard in a, in a long time. It's, it's really, really good. I think this whole album's great. Yeah, it's really enjoyable. Excellent. Well, there you go. Not a, not a bad word to be said. Uh, so the first ever Greg Pusciato solo album, Child Soldier, Creator of God. Um, it's, I've just had a quick look on Spotify. It's not on Spotify right now. Has he kind of put it up on Bandcamp or something? for streaming? It's on Bandcamp, yeah. And then because the official release is still three weeks away, it will still be released then. But he's put it on Bandcamp because the leak. Okay, cool. Yeah, go and uh, go and check that out. Maybe if you like it, go and like buy some merch off him or something. Because obviously, he's uh, no one likes to see artists having to lose out by getting their stuff um, leaked early. Um, also, officially and properly out this Friday is the uh, collaboration between Emma Ruth Rundle and Thou. That is a uh, challenging and intense record as well. Um, highly recommend you get on that. Uh, in the meantime, let's take some questions from facebook.com slash Metal Hammer Tis the season for horror movies, which is exciting. Halloween is upon us. Um, can't be worse than last year's Halloween when I dragged Steve and his missus around Camden, insisted everyone would be in fancy dress, and we were the only people in fancy dress. That was a good one, wasn't it, Steve? Nah, not really. Um, <laughs> I wasted my best ever Halloween costume for that shit, you fucking idiot. He really did as well. He came as Drew Barrymore in Scream, and he looked amazing. And uh, we were, just, and I was dressed in a full jester costume, and we were just sat at the world's end in Camden, looking miserable with no one else in fancy dress. Unbelievable. Idiot. Um, Never mind. It was my fault. But anyway, it is it is horror season. It's always horror season if you like horror movies, but it's especially horror season now. Uh, Joe Fleischer asks, what's the most heavy metal horror movie? Uh, Joe suggests Trick or Treat, Deathgasm, or Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. I don't know about that one. I've never uh, seen it. Huh? I've never seen it. Me either. I had to Google it because I hadn't actually heard of it. Uh, it's an infamously silly idea that Kiss um came up with i've seen like clips of it on youtube i'm not i'm not up for seeing more uh, <laughs> yeah joe suggests evil dead and uh, no that was one of my suggestions joe suggests trick or treat or deathgasm deathgasm is quite hard to argue with it's literally a horror movie about heavy metal uh, any other suggestions for heavy metal horror uh, i just thought rob zombie's house for a thousand corpses because it's rob zombie but i mean there's not specifically a metal theme but he's a metaler so I'll just take that suggestion and I'll rise you the devil's rejects. <laughs> sure. Good. Yeah, those work. Definitely connected. Um, very imaginative, Steve. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Um, what else? Uh, it wasn't Rob Halford in... Um, uh, no, he's in Spun. That's not a horror film. Forget it. Don't worry about it. Well, that is good. Have you ever seen that film, Spun? No, actually. It's got Rob Halford in, so you're missing out. That's good enough for me. Um, <laughs> I know that, uh, did you ever see Cradle of Fear? The Cradle of Filth horror from like yeah. 20 years ago? Yeah. It's not even a, that's like 25 minutes long, isn't it? It's not even a real, it's like a short film, isn't it? True, actually. But I remember me and uh, my cousin watched it because it was like, when we were still just getting into like horror and metal and we're like, Oh, Cradle of Filth done a horror movie. Apparently it's like, Oh, it's so dark and scary and oh, it's so gory. And then we watched it and it's just, it's, it's rubbish. <laughs> it's not very good. 
It was rubbish. It's got quite a lot of... I'd, the one thing I will say about that, it's got some quite good um, visual, like quite um, sort of uh, imaginative visual scare things on it. It's not actually scary, but there's there's a bit where they're playing violin in it and then they're like slicing their own wrists where they're minding playing the violin. Well, that was quite good. Yeah, and, and also, I mean, as with all things Cradle of Filth, like there is a little bit of tongue planted in cheek somewhere along the way. So you kind of take that as it is. Um, in terms of, I mean, they're not horror movies that are actually linked to heavy metal, but in terms of horror movies that are just metal as fuck, I thought of the, the Evil Dead reboot, which I depressingly realised is now seven years old. Oh, fuck, I've not seen that. Oh my God, it's so good, Steve. It's so good. I like... I'm not going to say it's better than the originals, obviously, because the originals are some of the best horrors ever made. But I'll probably watch the reboot more times than I watch the originals from now until ever because they're just like, it's what a good reboot should be. Like, you take the original concept, you change it slightly in a way that isn't a bit hack and tired, Mm -hmm. um, and you just make it feel more razor sharp and just, it's so gory. It's so gory, but it's so well done. I think it's genuinely tense as well, and it's just absolutely mental. Like things just keep on escalating and escalating and escalating until people are sawing themselves in half with chainsaws and all sorts of shit. It's brilliant. It's so good. Um, yeah, I love that film. I thought Hellraiser as well. It's pretty metal. Maybe a bit more torture garden than you know voodoo, but still good. <laughs> still good. Uh, and for something that's a bit more like slow, laborious kind of uh, bewitching doom metal. I thought The Witch from 2015, fucking world-class horror movie. Love that. Is that the one with Black Phillip? That's the one with Black Phillip. Um, oh. I have thought of it because I've got a Black Phillip pop vinyl standing opposite me right now. That's so cute. What about um, uh, what about uh, Freddy versus Jason? That had a pretty metal sound, a very new metal soundtrack, didn't it? That's like the new metal um, years of horror, isn't it? That's a good point, actually. Like that era of horror was great when you had like um, Kill Switch Engage on the Resident Evil soundtrack and Slipknot were on that Resident Evil soundtrack as well. That was a great time, man. Like a lot of those horror movies weren't that good, but you'd go to you like you go to the cinema, um, watch a just kind of fun, silly horror movie, and then just get shit tons of metal getting played through it. Like what time to be alive? Freddie was a bit like All in the Family, wasn't it? Fred Durst and Jonathan Davis together. (laughs) Yeah, I think as well. That, I think that's an underrated film. It's a bit stupid, even for Friday 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street standards, but there's some good shit in there. Who can't like Kelly Rowland getting, like, you know, spiked against a tree? <laughs> I saw it at the cinema and people clapped when that happened. Yeah, which is weird because I don't remember Kelly Rowland ever being a particularly disliked member of Destiny's Chance. It's just like, yeah, she's famous, fuck her. <laughs> fuck everyone famous idiot um but yeah uh she was pretty good in that as well to be fair anyway bloody love me a horror movie someone do the next question hey hope everyone is doing all right i'm not we've established this i'm not sorry um what do we think of the new enslaved record and also the state of progressive metal in general we've had that awesome oceans of slumber record as well tom george McHugh asked that question uh well we spoke about the uh, enslaved album last week didn't we yeah we reviewed that tom so maybe you haven't heard that episode yet go back and check it out for our full thoughts um short version it's very 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 good uh progressive 
we also, uh, Elle and I also reviewed the Oceans of Slumber album, which we both thought was very, very good. I mean, it's definitely safe to say that I wouldn't really call it like prog metal, but progressively minded metal is definitely in rude health at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I, this year I really love the Catatonia record and the Ocean record, both amazing. Like, please listen to those if you haven't. Intronaut had a cool record out this year as well. And going to tech metal realms, I got really obsessed with Spirit Box this year. If that counts, it's not progressive metal in like a Catatonia, Ocean, Intronaut way, but it, you would find it at like Tech Fest or something. Yeah, I like that Ocean album, it's really good. It's amazing. It's yeah. just oh, it's so expansive. It's just brilliant. I have to say, I mean, I really loved all that stuff a few years ago. I do. I, there's nothing that's really come out. I do think that Ocean album's really good, although I haven't gone back to parts one or two of what's it called? Phasmagoric. Oh, Phasmagoric. You like it. And then there's a line, and then there's another word that begins with C, but I have to look it up every single time we talk about it because it's really long. Yeah. And I love, I love Tool. I massively love Tool, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I did, I, you guys raved about the Ocean's of Slumber album. I think it's good. But I, I think it's good. But I think the other, the last two uh, are better, personally. I think. Ooh, I think really? Yeah. Maybe it depends how deep you go. Like I know we both, Merlin, like you and I both listen to that a lot. Like really, really, like a lot. Um, I got quite deep into that. So the Ocean album is called Farenzeric Two. That's it. Mesozeric slash Cenozeric. She's not pretentious at all but they do in the different ages of like the geological times yes that's true i know it is some so sort of it actually has a meaning yeah it's some sort of conceptual piece um yeah i like that record but i mean i think actually that record sort of sums up why i'm not like mad excited about the sort of last year or so of progressive metal because i think as good as that album is and it is good it does just sound, I think, I, I kind of wonder how much further those progressive things can be pushed, if you know well, what I mean. There's I a think... lot on this record that really reminds me of ISIS, but we don't have ISIS anymore. So I kind of think that's fine. ISIS aren't being ISIS. So it's fine for another band to do some ISIS. And I just think that record is just, it's just such a lovely atmosphere. And Jonas from Castone is on there as well. And I just really like it. But yeah. I know what you mean, like you, you're saying you want to see them people push it a bit more. Like they're good albums, but you want to see good albums with something that you didn't expect being on there. Well, that's what progressive is, isn't it? You 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 have to progress to be progressive, surely. And I do think that progressive metal or progressive music is now rather than meaning this is actually progressing the nature of this genre. It actually just means it sounds a bit like these bands who are proggy, and again, and like the Ocean album, like I say, is good, and yeah, they sound like ISIS, but ISIS were like nothing really sounded like ISIS really when ISIS came out, and they progressed that, that type of heavy music into a different place. Whereas I've not really heard anyone, particularly from that scene, do anything which I think is sort of genuinely. Well, new I, I don't know because I wouldn't when ISIS came out like. Well, when, you know, sort of the early 2000s, not when they came out, but just when they were releasing records. I don't even think I was talking about progressive metal, though. I don't really think it was a thing. I think they were just called, like, post-metal, weren't they? Or, like, 
yeah not progressive metal so i don't know it's a weird one i wouldn't i think progressive metal for me like you were just saying about the progression of music to me progressive metal has always just kind of been more of a genre label for metal that goes into these more expansive reaches of places like it's a sort of more of a categorization for me than what's the word than like a mission statement um and i think there are bands out there just doing like really amazing music but um you know in terms of sitting down and listening to a record and being like I never expected they'd throw X, Y, and Z in there. Like there isn't that to it. Like there's some amazing surprises and amazing moments, but nothing that's like shocking or anything, I guess. Mm. But I think in terms of like how the scene is, I think the scene's amazing at the moment. We were just talking about Arc Tangent earlier. And that's the kind of place where you'd probably see quite a lot of progressively minded or progressive metal bands. Definitely. That's where I'm going with this. <laughs> No, I think I think that's true, and also there's evidence that there's there is a lot of kind of progress pro, prog, both prog and progressively minded metal in the scene at the moment. In the fact that fucking prog magazine keep nicking all our bands, which is getting increasingly annoying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you again, if you look at the Art Tangent bands we mentioned earlier, like Leprous, you could argue they're a progressive metal. Um, Tesseract, you know. That is definitely, I would definitely say, things are going well in terms of progressive metal. There's a lot of diversity out there. You can't stop the nerds. Hey. Uh, what? It's fine. Hey. I hey, I watched Euroblast, man. I didn't see you there, so. Hey. <laughs> uh, do you want to do the next question, Elle? Fine. If it's not too nerdy for you. Daniel Pliters. Oh, it's a long question. He asks... After seven months, this week I finally returned to my office. It was during this time that I discovered this podcast. So I want to say thanks to the Metal Hammer team for making my Thursdays entertaining during these dark times. Thanks, Daniel. In the same way I discovered the podcast, I found bands that I now love. In spite of the obvious economic setbacks, do you guys think the pandemic has helped bands getting discovered since people have more time to be streaming music? Um, I think... Yeah, I think, I mean, that definitely makes sense. I think, firstly, it depends how bands are putting themselves out there. You know, if you've never listened to Trivium or Code Orange or someone like that before, or even Lamb of Gods or all these other bands that are doing these live streams, there might be a better chance that they kind of come onto your radar because their stuff is all kind of online and easier to digest from your seat. Like, even if you didn't go and by the either of the code orange streams you might have seen all the fuss around them and then therefore gone to check them out for instance um i think it probably just depends on what kind of person you are loads of people that i know who predominantly use streaming as their source of music basically use it to listen to the same stuff they've always listened to um i think spotify and, and others are quite well built to kind of keep you in your nostalgia hole if you choose to stay there you know like the daily mixes that get made and here's your rewind session and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think if you're the kind of person that goes out looking for new music, I imagine you would have had more time to do that. But if you're not really that way inclined and you tend to just be like, which a lot of people do, which is totally fine. They just stick with the stuff they're listening to when they're growing up and everything. Maybe it wouldn't have made much of a difference. What do you guys think? 
I think I've got more friends who are more into listening to the release radars if we're talking about Spotify, although other streaming services are available. And I think it is, you know, when people are working from home, you can put your own music on. So I definitely think in that sense, there's more opportunity for people to discover and find things. Um, but yeah, it's hard to know. I think the problem is with metal is we've discussed this numerous times is that metal still isn't in the mainstream. So you have to be thinking about listening to metal to discover some metal. You're probably just not going to stumble across something while you're like watching Netflix or ordering your shopping online or something or any of the, the pandemic activities that you can choose from on the small list of pandemic activities. So I think, yeah, you have to have a bit of an inclination, like you said, Merlin, to discover things. But I definitely think if you do, then it's probably been quite a good time to sit, sit house in the Definitely. I think that um, there's an interesting thing because you say about the release radar, and I'm just looking at my release radar. Obviously, other uh, streaming platforms are available, <laughs> um, but uh, I'm just looking at my release radar, and it is all every single track out of how many tracks are there? 29 songs. There's not a track on here, even though it's all new stuff that isn't by an artist that I already listen to. Do you see what I mean? I listen to all these bands. That's so, why. Yeah, yeah. So that this this I know there's also the. Um, the discover mix that they do which is you know that's much better for getting you into stuff you haven't heard before but if i only paid attention to my release radar i would never hear any new music because it only recommends me stuff that i've already listened to so i think it's quite easy to get stuck in that thing of like oh i'm listening to new bands but it's actually like it's just the same stuff going round and round and round do you know what i mean i've got something new in mind a band called migraine i don't know who they are made of migraine like no. not the word migraine, like M Y, and then G R A I N. There you go. Don't know what that I is. Think I have heard of that because I think their name made me laugh because it was like this is migraine. migraine. <laughs> <laughs> Bad name. Um, I've never heard of them. So there you go. Uh, if you like metal, I think the still remains the best. One of the best ways to discover new bands is to see them live supporting a band that you know you like steve we can't do that right now well i think that maybe i'm questioning whether or not this is true because i think yes you've got more time to listen to music that you like yes you've got more time to listen to music from artists that like you already say you you might be aware of yes there could be the occasional breakthrough big band i mean when you mentioned trivium lamb of god and code orange those are three fairly significant and sizable bands um but if you go out to a gig and you see the opening band and you've never heard of them before, I mean, think about, think about the, the, or you go to a festival. I mean, think about the impact. I'll never forget the impact Power Trip had on that Trivium tour at Brixton Academy, seeing people who clearly didn't know who Power Trip were turning around to each other going, who are this band? Oh my God, who are this band? I mean, Spotify can't give you that that kind of instant like oh my fucking god look at this and to turn around and see your mate who's also feeling the same like you know i think that's a far more um emotive way of discovering a new band and we can't really do that at the moment i think in particularly in metal going out and seeing shit is definitely the one of the better ways i mean we i guess you know the three of us are very lucky that we get bombarded with you have to listen to this new band they're great and it's from if it's from someone that you trust you'll listen to it but i think in general 
did I not have that, I probably would have discovered the majority of new bands that I like from seeing wicked support slots over the last sort of 10 years or whatever. And from reading Metal Hammer. And from reading Metal Hammer, yeah, obviously. You know, I think we play, uh, I hope we play a, an important part in people's lives and helping them discover music and stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know, like, I think that's a big one. I think seeing support bands is a real big one. And it's always been a really important part of the metal ecosystem as to getting bands, you know, big and stuff. So I think it's a bit of a bummer to lose out on that. I've sort of said this before, but that's, yeah, that's just what I think. I think that's a very fair point. I mean, I was just uh, thinking about the new noise section in Metal Hammer. Um, you know, I uh, obviously I like all of the new noises we do, but I think this month's is really fucking good, actually. Like we got Cult of Lilith in there, we have got Wargasm in there, we got Duma in there, who we talked about before. Orbit Culture, we talked about before. Narrowhead, they're really cool. Um, yeah, there is some good shit happening in the metal scene at the moment. So hopefully, people can uh, still find a way to discover it, even without even without gigs, which obviously we miss very, very, very much. Uh, Joel Anthony says, having no friends that like the genre to suggest any, we'll be your friends, Joel. Um, what's the best album to throw myself into black metal? And then he says, I'm a behemoth, Dark Tranquility and Trivium fan predominantly. I mean, if he's if Joel's a behemoth fan, he's probably pretty well set to take a step into black metal, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, it's like you kind of want to start with the basics and the true classics. So I was thinking Emperor in the Nightside Eclipse, Mayhem, Demystery, Dom Santanas, um, some early dissection, maybe that kind of stuff. What do you reckon? <laughs> got to be careful. You got to be careful with black metal. Yeah. Talk at the same time. Then I was confused. I opened my mouth. You open your mouth. And nothing of any value came out of either of us. So sorry about <laughs> that. Um, you got to be careful with black metal, don't you? Because you never know. You might be listening to a shit bag. Um, so <laughs> that's always something you got. Like, because I would say. I mean, one of the albums that when I was sort of first starting to properly try and listen to black metal and stuff, I really loved um, Assassin's Black Metal Part 1 by Nakmistium, which came out in 2008. And I think it's wicked. And I think it's a really good record for, like, it's got enough melody in it and it's produced well enough that if you're not, if you're not sort of familiar with that style you might be like oh this is really cool and it's sort of it's a real good kind of palate cleanser unfortunately the guy who fronted that band is an absolute fuckhead so if you're one of those people who are like i can't separate the art from the artist i mean it's a it's a tough one with black metal on it because a lot of them are you know dickheads it's, it's some nefarious stuff going on for sure i mean well, if you yeah. just want... sorry go on no, you go. Go ahead, Merlin. <laughs> I was just going to quickly say, um, I mean, it's not black metal. It's, it's black and death, which I appreciate you're not really after specifically. But if you are a behemoth fan and you want something in that vein, go check out the Garea album from this year. Um, I think it's G-A-E-R-E-A. -E um, that is a fucking awesome metal record that you should definitely go and get into. And if you want something very different, but stuff that I still really like, and it's probably my favourite stuff from the black metal scene, Obviously, you've got all the kind of post-black metal stuff as well. Generally speaking, seems to be free of most nefarious characters as well. So go listen to some all Huh? Wolves in the Throne Room. Exactly. Wolves in the Throne Room all day long. Love that band. What were you going to say? 
I was going to say, if you want someone who's definitely not nefarious, Zelanada, Mixed Spirituals with Black Metal. Um, they've got an EP at the moment, which uh, they've released a couple of tracks from, I think, but the rest of it is coming. Did you just make a face then, Steve? I think it's my shoulder hurts. I love oh, sorry. It. I okay. Love it. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a comment on what I just said. Um, <laughs> Merlin obviously mentioned uh, Emperor. Um, Isan is a really amazing artist. There's so much variety in Isan's back catalogue. So he had a solo, he has a solo career and he's gone from kind of black metal to avant-garde stuff to like jazz to all kinds of things. So there's loads to get stuck into there. Imperial Triumph film we've had in the magazine, super, super interesting band, kind of channeling 20s New York and mixing up like little samples with dark stuff and weird atmospheres surprised myself with them i think the record's really great and i just didn't think i'd like it at all but it's really good and we've also had a ranzi pazuzu in the mag this year as well um yeah and there's a weird band that i recently discovered called mora prakaza they're an avant-garde black metal band from belarus and they've got some really weird songs and videos so if you want something a bit weird then check out them how do you spell that Mora Prakaza, it's M-O-R-A space P-R-O-K-A-Z-A. Cool. What I was going to say, Rotting Christ's entire back catalogue would be oh, yeah. super consistent and often like jaw-droppingly brilliant. Um, so, yeah, you've got a lot to dive in there if you go to Rotting Christ. It's pretty different as well. That's another band where I just didn't think from the name that I'd like them. I just avoided them for years because I just thought it would be just something really extreme that I just kind of couldn't be bothered with. And then I listened to them and I was like, wow, this is really cool. Absolutely killer band. That's a brilliant shout. Uh, one more from Bryce Hall says, do you ever think there will ever be a CD revival like we are currently seeing with vinyl? What other music related objects, traditions, et cetera, would you like to see make a comeback? No one wants CDs back in a big way, do they really? It'll happen. Will it? Tapes came yeah. back. Yeah, it will happen, man. Definitely. True. I just There'll don't... be a nostalgia wave at some point, probably, but it's not. It doesn't seem to be quite the same in inverted commas experience as vinyl. I think people like having a record because it's big and they can open it out and look at it and sit down and put it on a record player and have their time with the record. Whereas a CD, it's not romanticized as much. The act of taking a CD out of a plastic CD case and putting it in a CD player is not romanticized in the same way that vinyl is. Yes. Um, but yeah, yes. I mean, if tapes can get there, maybe CDs can get there. I think I think it probably will do because I think what will happen is people will remember. Like I, I love vinyl, and you know, it, it's I, I've got a big vinyl collection. But basically, I don't. I think I've said this before. I've, de well, I've definitely said it before. I don't have to say it on this. But like, you buy an album for like a tenner on vinyl, and then you buy it for fifteen pound on CD to replace it and throw the vinyl and sell the vinyl for three quid at a car boot sale, and then fifteen years later, you buy that vinyl back for. 25 quid having given the cd to a charity shop and then i'm sure one day the same you know like it's all cyclical and i think people will soon some people will soon tire of the romanticized idea of playing vinyl and they'll go i still want a thing but i wish it was a bit smaller and it was a bit less bulky oh, and yeah there's kind of the thing as well with like this, like you said, the CD is smaller and more durable than vinyl. And there is a thing, you know, there is the worry that with all the music on streaming services, that at some point that music will disappear and you won't have access to it. And if you haven't got a CD or vinyl or 
a digital copy yourself stored somewhere then you haven't got the music so I could see a time where like you said if pe if some people got tired of vinyl and kind of the downsides of that but they wanted to make sure they had a music collection where they could kind of look at what they had and they weren't relying on streaming service maybe CDs would come back around but it's really hard to imagine right now just because the value of them is so low like the social and cultural <laughs> currency of them is like not good but they're still higher than vinyl were in probably 2002 like, mm. you, know, you couldn't even buy vinyl anywhere like anywhere at all it was just it was gone you can still buy cds i mean I, i'm not really sure who does um I think people who want to support bands often buy cds just because yeah. it's a nice way to do it it's like our album's on sale you just buy it and then maybe you don't really actually do anything apart from put it on a shelf but mm. It's an interesting one. I mean, it's hard. I guess maybe I'm just being stubborn and being like, no, my generation won't get no, get the nostalgia treatment because I just don't... CDs just seem to have no merit, really. You don't get the kind of lush presentation of a vinyl and they're less convenient than streaming. I mean, tape, tape trading culture felt like it had a big kind of presence and I feel like that's made a difference to why that's kind of come back. Um, like people that buy tapes now, they're not really playing them, are they? It's like a collector thing. And I just don't know if CDs have the same thing, but you're probably right. Like everything gets recycled at some point and I'm sure that'll be no different. Well, I mean, the Tool album that came out last year with the little video pack on it. Oh yeah. I mean, and also there's stuff like, so REM um, did a reissue of Monster last year, which I, in my one of one of my favorite REM albums. I was like, oh, I really want that. And it comes with like a documentary and it comes with like a load of studio outtakes, it comes with a load of B-sides and stuff. The proper deluxe, deluxe, deluxe edition only comes on CD. I've got it on vinyl, so I've got the I've got the original and the remastered album on vinyl, but I don't have the documentary, I don't have all the B-sides, I don't have all the other junk that came with the the deluxe CD edition. And I'm sort of wondering if that might be the CD's route back into, you know, you can get more on, on less, if you know what I mean. Like CDs are smaller, mm. but you can get like, I've got the 25th anniversary Rage Against the Machine CD, which is brilliant. Um, comes with this, the DVD of the Hyde Park show. And it's got a load of like demo versions and stuff with it as well. I've got the Holy Bible by the Man Street Preachers Deluxe Edition, which comes with the American version. And, and it's it's small. Like, it doesn't take up a lot of room. Whereas the my vinyl box sets, like the bloody um, and Justice Rule box that I've got, is massive. It's absolutely massive. Um, and I'm wondering if that might be a way in which CDs can kind of mm. weasel their way back into favour. I wonder if anyone will make just really cool CD players that people want to have as an object, because it's quite hard to imagine, but yeah. it happens with record players. You know, people make record players that people want to have in their houses because they look cool. And if CDs got to a certain place, would they make like, I mean, <laughs> retro ones are still would look pretty shit, but maybe there'd be like some kind of nostalgia retro revival of the old CD players, or maybe someone would just make something that looks amazing and you're like, oh, I want that. And everyone buys it. I don't know. I used to have that five CD, put five CDs in the thing. Did you? You were very fancy. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, it was about my fourth stereo that I got. But I remember being like, I'm going to get a, one of them five CD ones where you can just 
put five wow. I didn't have one of them in the deprived north. I'm only joking. I don't think the whole of the north is deprived, but I think you're very fancy, Steve, having that. Right, fancy, fancy Steve, as we know yeah. him. Fancy southerners, you and Steve. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. You get you get roped into this middle class hellhole with me, Merlin. Without even saying. <laughs> hey, I'm north of London, so I'm more yeah. north than one than the Irlander is right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a very middle class upbringing. That must have been a great day to get a CD player that you could do the five CDs in and have them change over. That must it must have been literally like sorcery or something. It was, it was brilliant. It was great. I think I got, and then I went into town and I got like, uh, you know, Roadrunner Records would do like, you could buy like four CDs for 20 quid or 25 quid or something. Stickers on them. I'm all in at once, just like, ah, amazing. Put it on wow. shuffle, early shuffle, happy days. We wow. didn't know you were born. What a time to be alive. Uh, that's it for this week's show, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, go and jam the shout out of some Van Halen this week, will you? Uh, we'll be back next week with all the usual news and reviews and a brand new issue of Metal Hammer to show off to all of you lot. So uh, stay safe out there, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. See Goodbye. You.